This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, welcome to another exciting episode of the Business of Sound. My name is David Segura, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Glassbox Media, and more importantly, the host of this podcast. As always, our goal is to provide you with an inside look into the world of podcasting with actionable tips and strategies that help you achieve greater success in your podcasting career. We ask that you join us every month as we bring expert insights and conduct exclusive interviews with some of the industry's leading voices, ranging from executives to, pod, uh, to podcasters, you name it, we have it. And as always, we humbly ask you to consider hitting the subscribe button and giving us a five-star rating as this will allow you to stay up to date with all the latest and greatest from the business of sound and also makes us a little bit more discoverable. In this episode, we're excited to welcome Jeff Umbro, the CEO and founder of the Pod Conglomerate. They're an amazing company that actually has a very wide range of podcasts and works with the wide array of brand advertisers which we're gonna learn about more shortly. Jeff also has an amazing background and he's been involved with a number of companies in his career, ranging from talk show to product hunt and more. And we're gonna hear it pretty soon from the horse's mouth. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Jeff, first of all, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks David, really excited to be here. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I'll say this, a lot of our audience is really kind of just far and wide ranging. Some of them are investors, frankly, looking to learn more about podcasting. A lot of them are executives with different functions from marketing to sales. And then obviously a lot are podcasters, but kind of like with every guest, one of the central questions that everybody has is how did you start, you know, your company? And, you know, we just want to hear the juicy details of the origin story. Yeah, happy to. And that's my, one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So thanks for asking. Uh, I was a book publicist uh, in the 2010s, and I had a podcast where I would speak with authors. And the goal was to bring authors into the publicity firm that I worked at. Mm -hmm. I would get a commission. So it was kind of a, a nice little selling point for me. But I also just was really interested in the medium. Uh, I started the show in 2014, right after Serial and Startup and, you know, the big ones that, that everybody knows. Uh, I kind of fell in love with it and I fell in love with it as I was falling out of love with book PR, uh, not because it's a bad job or anything like that. It's just, you know, if you're selling books all day, every day, uh, you kind of lose the lust for like why you got into that industry in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, I was in my 20s, didn't have a ton of money. Uh, so I kind of had to transition out of that role. So it took me a few years. And while I was doing that, I moonlit for a few different tech companies, uh, Product Hunt, Talk Show, an app called Coco, um, a company called Serial Box, which later turned into Realm, the fiction podcast company. Oh, yeah. Um, very familiar. Yeah, they're they're great. I love that whole team over there. Um, I was helping them in the early days with some of their PR initiatives as a consultant slash contractor slash freelancer. Um, and uh, I also very weirdly spent four months in San Francisco during the 2016 election working on a voter registration app called Vote Please, which was meant to get 
millennials to register to vote. I mentioned that only because it's very funny. Uh, the founder of that organization was Sam Altman. Oh, really? Is, yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple instances where I was sitting, you know, across the office from him and I would just see him with like his feet up on the desk talking about, you know, what we were working on at the time. Um, and now it's funny to see because obviously he's uh, the CEO of OpenAI and uh, is doing a lot of things that are in the news and sometimes Congress. Uh, so uh, in any case, while I was doing all of that stuff, I was kind of building up connections and building up my drive to uh, start my own company. Um, and podcasting was kind of just the thing that I was enjoying the most at the time and where I saw the biggest need for the services that I was capable of providing. Um, so fast forward to today and the podglomerate has been around since 2017. We produce, distribute and monetize podcasts. Uh, so on the production front, we have our owned and operated shows like Missing Pages and Podcast Perspectives. On the uh, white label work for hire side, we have worked over the years with folks like uh, A&E, Lifetime, the History Channel, mm -hmm. um, currently working with a bunch of you know, think tanks, universities, media companies. Um, on on the marketing slash distribution side, we help to promote third party podcasts and are working with folks like NPR, Freakonomics, MIT, Stanford, Harvard. Um, and then we also sell ads on behalf of about 70 different podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's it's for the marketing side and kind of audience development side. Is it often the case that you also take responsibility for for sale, for selling and monetizing those, or are they sometimes separated? So the way that we work is that we kind of have three different business lines, or at least that's the way that we view it internally. Uh, and the ultimate goal is to get somebody to hire us for all three of them. Mm -hmm. You know, it just makes sense if we produce your show, we can market it and we can monetize it. Um, the way it actually works in reality is that. Uh, everybody comes to us with different needs and desires and goals. So sometimes we do all of those things for a show. Uh, there's a, a show called What Could Go Right from the Progress Network, um, which is a you know organization out of New York. Uh, and, and we produce, distribute, and monetize that show. Um, but more often than not, somebody will come to us specifically for a work for hire marketing campaign or a work for hire production campaign. And then separately, somebody will come to us to, you know, basically license the show and monetize it through ads. Um, there's quite a, there's a few dozen shows where we do multiple services, but uh, I think the majority of our shows, it's, it's just one of them. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, your organization obviously has been around for a bit. You guys know what you're doing and you kind of span a, a wide array of areas. Uh, one thing I'd be curious to learn a little bit more about is maybe the white label or kind of like, branded business. Um, how did you get into that? And I guess what have been some of the takeaways um, from being involved with that? Yeah. So the branded production stuff is uh, is always interesting because everybody comes to the table looking for something a little bit unique. Mm -hmm. So we have worked with, you know, big SaaS companies that, uh, one example, um, I'll leave the name out just in case, sure. but uh, they uh, have this software that basically makes big organizations like 1% more efficient on their email communication and sales. And their entire goal was to bring people into the room that may be able to like pay for their services in the future. Mm -hmm. So CMOs at Fortune 500s basically. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so they built this podcast and they needed it to be a vehicle that was actually attractive for these CMOs to come. So they hired us to help them put this show together to build the structure and the infrastructure of like what these interviews would sound like, uh, to build the distribution vehicle of how this would go out to the world, to build all of the marketing assets for how they can promote this amongst their owned and operated properties, to do a PR campaign, to, you know, lend some credibility and authority to the show. Uh, and that in that instance, we did not sell any ads. Like the, the show was the ad. Uh, and in that instance, if this show got one client to pay for this software, which was very expensive, then it would pay for the show five times over. Oh, so wow. it just made sense. Yeah. Um, separately, we've done some marketing work for, you know, uh, bigger consumer oriented, you know, B2B shows where, you know, in the medical space, for example, one of the shows that we worked on was specifically looking to speak to nurses, doctors, physicians, uh, and they were building content that was meant for that audience. Mm -hmm. And our job was to market the show so that it would actually, you know, appear and, and find that audience. Mm -hmm. Um, and then separately, you know, some of the organizations we work for, they just want to increase their thought leadership and get their content out to the world in a more streamlined fashion. Some companies, uh, though very few on the branded side, like are looking for monetization. Sure. Sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then I guess taking a step back, looking at your core business, I know they're very different animals, but working closely, obviously, with third party podcasts to grow them, to monetize them. And on the flip side, being involved with the creation of podcasts from scratch. Um, what do you think are the core differences in, in your company's approach towards basically scaling both? And I guess, where do you all see yourself focusing on in the future? Or do you think it will, it will always be fairly balanced? So the goal is to make everything pretty balanced. Mm -hmm. uh, we've always had the mindset that the industry is going to fluctuate. Mm -hmm. uh, there are always going to be instances where we're in boom times and instances where we're not. Mm -hmm. So uh, as I'm sure you can see uh, in the industry in the last year or two, uh, a lot of the production work is drying up because organizations just don't have the funds to pursue like the number of projects that they were historically. Uh, and, and in part, it's because, you know, ad sales have slowed a little bit yeah. in the last year. So people just aren't able to pay for the bottom line or the overhead of what they're trying to produce. So in some instances, some of these folks that we work with are not able to kind of pursue future seasons of their shows. Yeah. In other instances, people are doubling down and really trying to take advantage of like this time in the space where they may be able to get, you know, cheaper production or you know, uh, conceivably find more audience because there's less competition. Mm -hmm. Um, there are less podcasts that have been published this year than last. Um, so that is going to continue to happen. You know, ad sales are going to ebb and flow. Production is going to ebb and flow. Marketing budgets are going to get cut when the economy isn't doing so well. So, uh, the goal is to operate in all of these spaces mm -hmm. kind of independently. And hopefully we see some kind of like seesaw between the different service lines. Mm -hmm. um, what has happened historically, uh, and I give our team all of the credit in the world for this, uh, we've actually seen with, with very few exceptions, every one of these business lines increase year over year since mm -hmm. we launched the company. Oh, wow. It's amazing. And that's obviously great success. It kind of underlines everything that we already know that you know, your company is doing amazing work. So can't say we're terribly surprised to hear that. But you brought up something really interesting. And just to be candid, Glassbox also struggles with this. 
in talking to other industry pundits and executives. I think they struggle with this as well. But it's very natural for awesome creators to do a show from scratch or even like a seasonal or dare I say like limited run. But then the media question then becomes, how do you fund or how do you justify a season two or season three? What's been your experience with that? How do you help the, a creator maybe bridge the gap and maybe kind of make the show either always on or just kind of continuously fund and scale, I guess, future seasons of content? So I think the first question needs to be like, what are these different organizations trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. uh, some people are looking for thought leadership. Some people want to create content so they can put it out to their audience. Some people want ad sales. Some people want this as a vehicle to, you know, generate leads for other businesses. Um, so really step one is determining like, what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. uh, step two is then working backwards to say like, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. uh, a show doesn't need to be seasonal. It doesn't need to be always on. It doesn't need to be weekly. Uh, some of them might. Uh, it really depends on like what you're trying to, to actually get over the finish line. Mm -hmm. um, assuming that there is a show that is trying to monetize uh, and that's the reason that they're launching. Um, step one is really just saying like, okay, if I need to do that, like how, how large does the show need to be and which advertisers do I need to reach in order to be like a, um, a solvent podcast? Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can do that math pretty easily. Uh, generally speaking, it's, you know, your CPM rate multiplied by your number of ad markers, multiplied by your download numbers, multiplied by your consumption rate. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's pretend that you know that if you have 100,000 downloads and you can sell 50% of your inventory, uh, then you are going to be a solvent podcast. Mm -hmm. Then you need to figure out how you get to that threshold of 100,000 downloads, uh, whether it's per episode or per month or whatever that math tells you. Um, and you can do that through a number of different marketing approaches. You can come talk to Podglomerate and we're happy to help. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, it's just like kind of, establishing your goals and then determining how to get there. Um, there's not a one size fits all approach. And uh, sometimes it's really just like building the relationships with the different advertisers that you're working with and making sure that you are giving them something that's valuable, mm -hmm. uh, like talking to them as well and figuring out what they're hoping to achieve and then working backwards to, to handle that. Like maybe it doesn't matter how many impressions you have. Maybe it's about, you know, the way in which you're endorsing that product um, maybe you can include it in like mm -hmm. your email newsletter campaigns or your social media. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can do some kind of product placement, put it in a YouTube video. Um, I'm speaking abstractly because like, you know, there's a million different variables here, but you kind of get the idea. Like, uh, the key really is just figuring out what your goals are and then working to service those goals in the companies and the organizations and the podcasts that are doing that mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to, um, have like a defined goal in mind and that's how you can reach that goal and work towards future seasons or episodes of the show. Yeah. I think that hits a nail on the head. It's always challenging, certainly easier said than done, but yes. I think a lot of folks just, you know, maybe sometimes gloss over. And I think we've been guilty of that sometimes as well. What is the underlying like projection that we need to hit in order to attain success? And that makes it a lot more likely. Obviously it's going to be a long lasting project. So I think you kind of summed it up pretty well. With that in mind, though, especially as we're heading into the new year, I know this can go anywhere, so I'm really curious to see where you take this, but a lot of folks are just reflecting and kind of asking each other, even asking us, um, what trend do you see maybe accelerating 
stopping. What do you think, I guess, is going to impact or color 2024? That's an interesting question that there is no right answer to. Um, But uh, like what I personally have been paying attention to uh, is what is happening overall in the industry. Um, I personally think that there is a lot of optimism out there for companies who are thinking about the long term Mm -hmm. and who are thinking in a a measured manner, uh, not growing too quickly, not launching too many shows, Mm -hmm. not spending money that they may not have. Um, and, and then even the companies that are like the much larger companies that have the ability to do that, uh, I think that a lot of them at this point are doing really well, or at least have, have made it past the hump that we saw earlier in the year um, with all the layoffs, I hope, um, you know, while recognizing that it's been a really tough year for a lot of people, like I am really optimistic about the future of the business. And there's still a lot of really smart people who are operating in the space. Um, the thing I keep reminding myself about is there are more listeners in the space than there ever have been. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of opportunity here. Um, there are two. There are a lot of parallel industries to podcasting, but two that I pay a lot of attention to mm-hmm. is broadcasting, so radio mm-hmm. and uh, audiobooks. Mm-hmm. So the audiobook industry is set to earn five billion dollars in revenue in 2023. Wow. The radio industry, I believe, and, and don't quote me on this. Um, is uh, set to earn, I think, like 16 or $17 billion this year in ad revenue. Um, the audiobook industry is uh, an asset that is increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've had double-digit revenue increases for like a decade straight. Uh, and the radio industry is obviously kind of on the decline. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the point is really that Podcasting is such a tiny number compared to those two industries mm-hmm. that like, despite the decline in radio, there's a lot of growth that we have yet to see mm-hmm. every time an iHeart or a Sirius XM or uh, a Spotify is, you know, announcing their earnings reports, you see increases on the digital side of that revenue in those reports, which often includes or is podcasting. Uh, at the same time that you're seeing decreases in the broadcasting side. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the audiobook front, there are a ton of parallels to the uh, podcasting industry. I just did an episode. It hasn't been released yet. Maybe it will by the time this is out, um, where I did a panel discussion about the audiobook industry on podcast perspectives. And it was genuinely shocking to me uh, how, how many parallels there were to the podcasting industry in the way that these folks spoke. We, we spoke with Michelle Cobb mm-hmm. uh, and Sean McManus, who are both on the um, Audiobook Publishers Association uh, board, mm-hmm. and uh, Landon Hughes, who is an author uh, who has published a few audiobooks. And listening to them talk about that industry, it was, it was just very funny to me um, because it, you could have been talking to podcasters, yeah. uh, and some of them are. Um, so anyway, I'm rambling, but the point here is that like, I do see mm-hmm. over time, the podcast industry is going to continue to grow. I don't see any instance in the next 20 years where that's going to plateau. I mean, obviously I'm not like an economist or anything. I could probably, I'm, I'm, I'm likely very wrong about that, but I think that we're going to continue to see increased 
growth and the more investment that people are making today, the better position they're going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an industry that's, you know, really good for short term gain. Mm -hmm. And like, I think a lot of the people who are operating in the space today, uh, maybe like are here because of what they saw with like the ringer and Gimlet and anchor and podcast and everything like that. Um, and it's just not that kind of industry in my opinion. Um, so anyway, that's one big thing I'm paying attention to is just like what's happening financially here. Mm -hmm. Um, another big piece is just AI and podcasting and, uh, is there going to be kind of a, a glut of new podcasts that are using these tools either in pieces of their production or for the production of the show? Um, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm less interested in that, but I'm still paying attention because I think it's a little bit fascinating. Um, and, uh, and then I think that there's also quite a few, uh, adjacent industries outside of broadcast and, and audiobooks, um, such as, you know, TV, film and books that are starting to move into the space mm -hmm. and, um, through IP plays or original content and production and, uh, paying a lot of attention there just cause, um, there's some interesting work being done in that regard. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I guess on that note too, without, you know, or maybe yes, revealing too much, whatever you're comfortable with, do you see the, your company basically pushing forward into the adaptation process, whether it's like TV, film, live events? Do you see that as something that's going to be like a near-term push for your company? I mean, I would love that. Uh, we have done a couple live events pre-COVID. Um, we used to work on a podcast for IndyCar and we helped with a live event in the Poconos. Um, they have a, a race out there in Pennsylvania. Um, and we did a live event there. Uh, we did one at the Indy 500 um, back in 2019, I believe, maybe 2018. Um, we uh, have chatted with a few folks, um, you know, candidly on uh, like IP scouts for some of the projects that we've worked on historically. Um, so yes, I do think that at some point we will move in that direction, but uh, I think we're being very slow with publishing original IP uh, because it's expensive and we want to make sure that we're taking our time and doing it in a measured manner. Um, that said, like there are a lot of opportunities there for derivative IP, whether it's work in translation, film, television options, uh, audiobook properties, live events, premium subscriptions, um, applying for grants. That's one that a lot of like commercial publishers don't always think about. Um, so, so yes, we are uh, slightly operating in that way already and planning to do a lot more of it in the future. Um, we're, we're just not in a rush to do it. We want to make sure we're paying attention to our core competencies. Understood. I mean, we're kind of in a similar boat. And when I talk to a lot of other folks in the industry too, if you're like a one beer or something, it's obviously part of the model. It's probably a major reason Amazon bought them. But being a little more resource constrained, like every startup is, we want to be intelligent about it. And like we are working on some amazing adaptation opportunities for some of our franchises like Dark Valley, but we still know where nice. our bread is buttered. So makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. And, and that's such a, we'll have to talk all about that at some point because that's such an interesting conversation. Like I've had very minimal conversations in that regard, but um, enough to make my head spin. Uh, so <laughs> I know that... Uh, we are still learning too. like, you know, with my background, obviously much, much more of a digital guy than anything. 
but have gotten my hands a little bit dirty in TV just with a Dog Whisperer franchise. But even then, I always remind people that for the most part, until very recently, that was a licensing business. In other words, the mm -hmm. hard work was done by Caesar Milan and Kay Sumner, the original showrunner, creator of the show. Um, but, you know, when you're creating something from scratch that is going to be done at a deficit and has to be adapted from, like, unique source yeah. material, in this case, podcasting, it's a different animal. And so we find ourselves meeting with a lot of amazing production companies and knowing that we need someone to do that heavy lifting since we ourselves won't do that. And on the flip side, to our creators, they're amazing and they're going to contribute pretty heavily. But most of them don't have experience in, like, you know, TV space as well. So it's been interesting. Well. And, and that's where I found that working with an agent is like really impactful. Mm -hmm. um, you can literally design the structure of, of some kind of IP deal mm -hmm. in a thousand different ways. And I mean, frankly, an infinite amount of ways. Mm -hmm. And the key is really just knowing what you don't know uh, and relying on other folks. Um, I do think it's fascinating. It's just, and, and it's funny because it's like one deal if, if it goes right can really result in a windfall that you don't really see in the audio space. Um, it's just, you know, you can count the number of times that that's happened um, on a few dozen, on a, on a few dozen hands, but like, you know, we're not talking about hundreds or thousands of deals here. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for us. Um, you know, one other comment I guess that I'd make too, uh, just kind of thinking out loud here is like going back to what you mentioned about the publishing industry and obviously like the rise of audiobooks. And then on the flip side, um, don't want to be negative or anything, but the radio industry or broadcast industry and, and its decline. So mm -hmm. just to put it out there for the audience, I mean, on one hand, publishers are probably becoming like stronger, maybe more enthusiastic now that audiobooks are taking off. But on the flip side, you have a lot of traditional radio and podcasting companies. And I don't want to say this in a bad way, but like, you know, take Odyssey or even iHeart. They're experiencing tremendous growth in podcasting. But maybe it's not growing fast enough, I guess, to replace their legacy radio business. I guess my thought is, you know, for radio in particular, as it continues to atrophy, it will probably benefit people in the podcast industry. But what do you think will become of some of the, you know, stalwarts and leaders right now in like uh, broadcasting? Do you think they'll eventually figure it out? Will they be able to reinvent themselves? Or what's your take on that? Yeah. I'm by no means an expert. Uh, I, I am more of an observer than anything. Um, so my opinion on this uh, is essentially that there are a handful of, of legacy broadcasters, iHeart, SiriusXM, Odyssey, Cumulus, um, uh, totally blanking on one other big one. Uh, apologies for whomever you are. Um, a lot of them have been collecting podcast assets over the few the last few years. So Odyssey has Cadence Thirteen, sure. Pineapple Street. They bought Podcorn, which mm -hmm. is a self serve ad platform. Um, you have iHeart, which owns Omni, Triton. You know, uh, a dozen different distribution deals with you know podcast publishers like Stuff and um, Big Big Money Players Network, and mm -hmm. uh, SiriusXM has. Um, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, yeah. it, Pandora, Simplecast, etc. I think that they are collecting these assets, knowing that that is the future. Um, simultaneously, a lot of them are selling off radio towers, like by the month at this point. 
lot of them are really like debt financed and over leveraged. Um, so I, I don't know the answer. Uh, I wish I did. I'd be uh, a much wealthier man if I did. But um, I think that uh, we are probably going to see over the next few years, these bigger legacy organizations uh, unloading some of their assets so that they can prioritize some of these new digital companies mm -hmm. um, or perhaps spinning them off so that they can be kind of uh, not weighted down by some of the the debt situations in their organizations. Um, Ashley Carmen from Bloomberg published an article recently. I don't know when we're going to publish this, but um, it was all about Fields Family, which owns Odyssey. They bought, uh, you know, I read that last. They bought night. it. For, yes, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, they lost a fortune uh, on that bet, and and it's funny because I actually think Odyssey has a lot of really amazing properties. You know, I they have uh, a lot of the radio stations I grew up listening to. Mm -hmm. um, and you know odyssey and i'm sorry pineapple street is one of the best publishers out there uh if not the best to be honest i'm very jealous of them uh but uh i think that it's gonna be a trying few years and uh but you know there's always money in the banana stand as they say uh you know sirius xm is owned by liberty media which also owns 50 percent of iheart uh like at some point they will be able to find financing if they need it. Mm -hmm. And we're all sitting here just kind of why I, I, I had a conversation with somebody a, a few months back where I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but uh, I think it's a little relevant. Um, I had a conversation with somebody a few months back where uh, they were basically talking about the fact that iHeart, Sirius XM, mm -hmm. Apple, uh, Amazon, um, et cetera, are operating on a different playing field than the rest of the industry. Uh, so when these bigger like legacy giant organizations make these moves that uh, kind of get picked up by the news or, or set the scene for the broader public who may not be as invested in the industry, uh, like we as smaller publishers need to just remember that that's not what is defining the work that we are doing. Mm -hmm. That's just what somebody is doing in a vacuum who just happens to have a bigger wallet. Uh, so I, I like to remind people about that whenever I can, because, uh, you know, yes, they get to set the rules often, um, cause they control the platforms and sometimes some of the agencies and the mm -hmm. brands and that kind of thing. But at the same time, like the heart and soul of the industry is really with the smaller publishers. Uh, and I, and I love a lot of the work that some of these big organizations are doing. I don't want it to sound like I don't, but, um, but it's just a different kind of work. It's a different kind of publisher. I tend to agree with that. I mean, we definitely need like everyone participating and making investments and popularizing it. I know that they've done a lot for the industry, so I'd never besmirch them. But I think you hit, the nail, you hit the nail on the head. I think most creators, especially at the podcast level, they're more heavily impacted by like kind of these uh, smaller emerging companies than some of the massive platforms. And it makes sense, right? They need to move the dial at much different like scales that we need to. So that's cool. You know, even for even for example, sorry to interrupt, but right. um. Even for example, PRX, which is an organization that's been around for you know 15, 20 years, uh, that is a company that I, I think they just had their um, annual report that came out, mm -hmm. and they made like tw I think it was like twenty million dollars this year, uh, which is you know chump change compared to some of the bigger organizations, but it's still you know multiples of a lot of the smaller yeah. platforms and networks. So 
even the companies that we think of as really small, like are really operating just at a different scale than, than some of the tiny publishers are. Yeah, I'd imagine so. That's just incredible to think about. You know, one other thing I was kind of curious about too to ask you is that you obviously have your own podcast as well, uh, Podcast Perspectives. You kind of name-checked it earlier when you talked about like kind of the audio and the publishing industry and how that's intertwined. Um, what led you to start that? And I guess what's the most what's been the most exciting part of like producing that, I guess, to date? I love it. Uh, so... Um... Podcast Perspectives is a podcast where I talk to industry leaders and we try and do these panel discussions a lot. Um, they're just a lot harder to produce and coordinate. So it's mostly one-on-one interviews. Um, but I wanted to talk to people in the industry uh, as an access point to for people who may not be in the industry. Uh, so the lofty vision is that this is a show that can speak to people who are just entering the space as hobbyists in addition to CMOs at fortune 500s who may be interested in the space. Um, I don't know that we're necessarily achieving that yet, but that's kind of the ambition. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what we're doing is we're talking to people who, you know, are leaders in the industry, uh, who have viewpoints about what's happening with X, Y, and Z. Um, and we're trying to make it pretty pointed. So we've done episodes on premium subscription models, on audiobooks, and the business model there. We've talked to, or we're planning an episode where we talk to sales agencies and like what they're looking for with publishers. We've spoken to CEOs of platforms and, and uh, podcast publishers. Um, we just recorded with, for example, Steve Wilson, who's the mm -hmm. chief strategy officer at QCode. Um, and the idea is that we get to talk to these people who have been there, who have done the things, and we get to see and understand how and why they did it. Um, and uh, some of the more surprising things that, that I've learned in doing this, um, that audiobook panel discussion uh, was just honestly a lot of fun for me based on my background. And, and I did learn a lot of new things there. But um, really, it's just a fun way for me to talk to friends in the industry and uh, and, and I'll be honest, um, yeah. this is my version of trying to like, uh, you know, sell that SaaS product. Um, it, it's a way for me to get in a room with people who I just want to talk to, um, in a friendly way and also just for, for lead generation for new business. Um, and you know, I don't know if that's saying the quiet part out loud or anything, but, uh, no, you know, we'll appreciate the transparency and like not to kind yeah. of, uh, interrupt but like you know it's very much the same for us and then frankly i just mm -hmm. want to learn more i think everyone in the yeah. company tends to learn more from like you know the guests that we have including yourself and yeah it's just a great privilege and it's always a great experience too thank you yeah and i think um you know it's like what we were talking about before step one is always determining your goals and step two is acting on them so uh so that's what the show is for me um and it's it's a blast yeah, awesome. So I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I guess before we go, I wanted to kind of open up the floor to you to maybe speak about something that might put you on the spot a little bit, but I'm just curious, like, what was your most memorable experience, I guess, working with like, you know, your in-house podcast, your third-party podcast, and a client? I know there's probably a million war stories you can share, but we always ask people to kind of share something memorable, if not like their favorite moment in their company. It's so interesting. Uh, I hadn't honestly thought about it. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is honestly just looking at the team that we've built and uh, how it how far everybody has come. Um, 
you know, we have eight full-time employees uh, and we have been uh, with many of them for about two years, sometimes three. Um, we just start. it was just me at the company for the first four mm -hmm. years. And we've, we've recently started hiring some folks and it's so funny because when it's just you at an organization, you're used to doing everything. And like, I never delegated. I never really had to watch somebody else do the things that I had developed. Mm -hmm. um, now today I get to watch this team of people who are not only doing the things that, you know, that I, I began, but also doing it 10 times better in different ways, more efficiently, more profitably and more creatively than I ever could. Um, it's honestly like kind of an ego hit because uh, you think you you're the one who has to do everything and then you find out you don't and uh in, in a good way um it's it's really cool to see uh mm -hmm. otherwise in terms of just like cool moments like there's been a lot we've had a lot of amazing guests um we've talked to a lot of really cool people we're about to publish on one of our shows uh missing pages um which is kind of like it's all about the literary scene uh a big two-parter on the history and current state of book bans in America. Um, we, a few years ago in the 2018 election, published a podcast called The Wave with Matt Fuller, who's Washington Bureau Chief at the Daily Beast. And um, that was really impactful journalism, I think, where we got to talk to people who, um, and, you know, kind of teach them something about the sure. issues that were happening in that particular election. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to sound too cheesy or Pollyannish or anything, but um, it's also cool to see just like I get to make money for creators, people who are out there like doing what they love for fun or for their job. Um, we just did some math on this and like I think we've earned all time like four or five million dollars that went right into the pockets of creators, um, of people who are just at home podcasting. Uh, it's a cool feeling. So um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but like I've had a bunch of these moments and I'm sure I'm going to remember 20 as soon as I get off mic. No, that's a great answer. I mean, it's all about the culture in those moments. And if you can get the nail on the head, I think anyone in our position comes down to like, do we add value to the creator's lives or do we not? And, you know, hopefully the answer for both sides is yes. And then I think beyond that too, similar feeling, just filled with admiration for like their hard work. Never ceases to amaze me, like how hard they work and the difference they make in this like evolving media environment. So it's been amazing. I love it. Very yeah, cool. it's very cool. What, what's your what's your moment? Your most surprising? Um, you know, honestly, it's probably similar to yours in the sense that it's like ongoing. I feel like my yeah. favorite moment uh, happens month to month, as opposed to looking back on something. Um, there were some really really cool kind of happenings, though. Working with Hyundai, for example, was kind of special. Mm. Um, the reason being is that my previous company, Giant Media, you know, I'm working still to this day with a lot of folks, including my co-founder. Chris Whitman that worked with me back then and Hyundai was like a huge client of ours. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said, I didn't feel like, you know, a special fuzzy feeling to like be working with them again in a totally yeah. different industry from video. So that's cool. And I think also the other moment too, is just kind of seeing us kind of move in the right direction, revenue profit wise, kind of building like the right sort of team. And I really do feel like the best is yet to come. So, you know, it's been, an Oh, for sure. Very much so. Yeah. You guys, I know this, I know you were interviewing me on this one, but like you guys have had a very fun journey and, and uh, I'll have you on podcast perspective so that we can hear all about it. But um, it's been very cool to see. So I appreciate congratulations. That, that definitely means a lot uh, coming from you. So with that in mind, Jeff, I won't keep you any longer, but I just want to 
let our audience know. Definitely check out Jeff's uh, podcast as well, Podcast Perspectives. And as always, thank you all for listening. Uh, the Business of Sound is obviously brought to you every other Thursday. As always, we're very grateful to Erica Miranda for producing the podcast. And again, we humbly ask that you consider leaving us a five-star review to help support the show. Also, feel free to follow us on social media, specifically Instagram and LinkedIn. And again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone.